This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Peter Kellner. Peter Kellner is the United Kingdom's uh, leading poster uh, and president of the polling organisation YouGov. Uh, first question, please. It's September 2015. Uh, a referendum on the UK's membership of the European Union is likely to take place sometime within the next 12 months. Can you give me a flavour of the current state of British public opinion on Europe? Paul, when um, we've been tracking attitudes to the EU for some years, and in the first couple of years of the current Conservative government, when it was in coalition with the Liberal Democrats, uh, three, four years ago, there was a pretty consistent majority, in fact, a large majority, for Britain withdrawing from the EU. And it started to turn round once David Cameron clarified his own position and started making the case for remaining um, a member. Um, and since last Christmas, so for something like nine months now, there was, until a few weeks ago, a, a small but consistent majority for staying in. So a typical poll would have 45% saying they would vote to stay in, 35% saying they'd vote to come out, 20% saying they don't know or they wouldn't vote. Our latest poll, just last week, found that that margin had narrowed two percentage points. Now that might just be a statistical blip, but I have a feeling that um, the con contraction of the lead is real because of the issues around migration and uh, refugees. Uh, the European Union is once again seen as uh, a, a source of Britain's problems rather than a source of the solutions to Britain's um, problems. Um, so we'll see over the next few weeks what happens both in the problem of migration and refugees and whether that has a knock-on effect in terms of British attitudes with, as you say, the referendum perhaps now just a year away. And when you drill down the data beyond the top line, the information at your disposal, are there significant differences in age groups? How are all the generations' views evolving over towards Europe and compared to the younger generation? There's some difference. Younger people are more pro-European than older people. The most significant difference, though, are not so much demographic as geographic, um, in that two parts of uh, Britain stand out as being significantly more pro-European than the rest, and they're London and Scotland, quite different political um, cultures. Um, in Scotland, it's because the Scottish National Party uh, when they campaigned for independence, so they want an independent Scotland inside the European Union, and they would like to think that Scotland will be part of the EU even if the rest of Britain leaves. A whole separate set of arguments, as you know, Paul, about whether that is physically possible, legally possible, politically possible. But the part of the SNP independence dream is of a Scotland within the EU. So a lot of people in Scotland buy that story. London, it's rather different. London is one of the world's great business cities. Far more people, far more business, far more of London's economy is linked in into Europe one way or another. It has a much more cosmopolitan outlook. People are much more pro-immigration in London than they are in elsewhere. There are indeed more migrants proportionately in London uh, than elsewhere. So London is becoming a different kind of place politically from the rest of England. So let's just think this through, because let's suppose in a year's time you get a narrow 
majority for leaving the EU, but I can come on to a minute the possibility of that. Let's just suppose it's a narrow majority for leaving um, the EU, then without doubt London will have voted to stay in and Scotland will have voted to stay in. But the rest of England and Wales would have voted to leave. Wales could go either way. Um, and the political consequences of that would be extraordinary, especially in the case of Scotland, because I think the Scots would then say, hang on, you English are dragging us out of Europe. Well, that's not what we want. And so you could then have a double constitutional crisis with London negotiating with Brussels the very messy business of exiting from the EU and Scotland saying we want another referendum to leave the United Kingdom so that we can reconnect <coughs> with Brussels and the, <coughs> and the rest of the European um, Union. So if that's the outcome in a year's time, don't think it's the end of anything. It's simply the beginning of a whole series of headaches. Can I get back to this question of migration? You said that's now starting to impact the data in terms of people being less maybe in favour of membership or at least less pro-European, if you like, because they're so concerned what they see on the, on the TV screens and read the newspapers. But is there a sense also that the government is sort of slightly semi-removed or semi-detached from that debate and therefore they're not really taking part in trying to find a solution and therefore the issue gets more and more, more serious? Or do you think there's a... Without being too naive, there's a case to be made that people will wake up at some point, uh, the European Union in its entirety, including the United Kingdom, and see we have to act together to solve this problem together. I mean, this is an absolutely crucial question, Paul, and, and the responses are changing day by day as, as, as we discuss this now. Because there's unquestionably, David Cameron and the British government are being pulled ferociously two ways. One way by a lot of the British electorate, including former Conservatives who are now, have now voted UKIP or might in future vote um, UKIP, who are saying, keep them out. And them, they're thinking about the people in the camp at Calais trying to get through the tunnel into Britain. And they're thinking more generally about the people coming across the Mediterranean from Syria, Libya, elsewhere, arriving in, in southern Europe uh, in their hundreds of thousands. And so there's a popular pressure to say, keep them out, or, or, or only elect through a tiny number. And then the pressure coming from the rest of Europe, particularly from Angela Merkel, who was saying, look, we can tackle this in Europe if we tackle it all together. We could absorb some hundreds of thousands of refugees into Europe, providing everybody takes their share. Um, and if David Cameron, and he wouldn't be the only one because the Spanish are taking the same position as David Cameron for different reasons. If David Cameron says, no, we won't, then uh, quite apart from everything else and what happens to the refugees, I think that poisons David Cameron's relationship with Angela Merkel. And he needs Angela Merkel in the negotiations he's building up to over the next three or four months about revising Britain's relationship with the rest of the European Union. If David Cameron poisons his relationship with Angela Merkel, Angela Merkel is less likely to help him in those EU negotiations. And if Angela Merkel doesn't help him in EU negotiations, it's much more likely that Cameron will be forced to do something he certainly doesn't want to do, which is say, I haven't achieved what I wanted in negotiations. I recommend a vote to leave the EU. As 
you know, that great English novelist Ian Forster said in, in, in his book Howard's End, only connects. Uh, when we look at migration, Europe, British politics, German politics, mm-hmm. European economy, Greek the, Greek, the Eurozone crisis in Greece, you can't take any one of them in isolation of the others. They do all connect together. And in a way, the connections are one causing real agonies for David Cameron. Let's talk briefly about the, the wording of the, of, the, of the question on the ballot paper. The British government has recently taken the advice of the Electoral Commission mm-hmm. to change the wording from a simple yes, no, on remaining inside the European Union to a slightly more complicated question about mm-hmm. do you want to remain a member or do you want to leave the European Union? What is the significance as a professional pollster uh, like yourself, on the, of the wording of a question on people's uh, voting intentions? As pollsters, we normally avoid yes-no questions when it comes to opinion. I mean, uh, yes-no questions are fine um, for facts. Do you have children living with you at home? Yes or no. Um, but when it comes to opinions, it is regarded as good practice to give uh, answer options which have equal weight, stay in or leave, approve, disapprove, support, oppose for example, agree, disagree. Um, um, because there is a... Um, s- some people uh, prefer psychologically at some subconscious level, they prefer saying yes to no. It's a sort of human trait. But that's when people are asked a question out of the blue by a pollster. When it comes to referendum, um, I frankly think it makes no real difference, because by the time you get a vote in a referendum, you know which side you're on, and the wording on the ballot paper uh, is, I think, unlikely to affect people's attitudes. There's only one qualification, and, and so therefore I think the proposed change in the wording, I think, is technically sensible, uh, and in terms of the outcome, probably irrelevant. The one qualification I'd make is that in the Scottish referendum, when it was yes, no, yes for independence, no for staying within the UK, um, although I think in the end the wording didn't affect the result, it may have had some effect on, on the way the two sides campaigned because it is easier, as it were, typographically in posters and so on, to build images and slogans around the word yes than around the word no. So the... Um, because no to something sounds sort of negative and anti and a bit destructive, whereas uh, no to independence was about staying in the UK. So there might be some small effect on campaigning, but in all honesty, um, I don't think the precise wording will make any difference to the eventual outcome. Okay, a final question. Um, talk a lot about the UK in this podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, to the extent you do data and collect uh, data in other countries in Europe, um, what is the, the, the kind of evolution of, of opinion in other key mm. member states outside the UK of the European Union towards the EU? Mm. Are, 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 are we uniquely poor Europeans, uniquely, uniquely uh, ambivalent Europeans? Well, the British are normally more ambivalent than other member states, but not massively so. Um, there are, we poll regularly in France, Germany, Scandinavia, and we find significant and, broadly speaking, growing minorities across the countries we survey, people who don't, who think the EU is going in the wrong direction. And, and this should come as no surprise, because you, you, you look at the, pop, uh, the, the popularity of the Front National in France, um, 
alternative for Deutschland in Germany, the Sweden Democrats, the True Finns, and so on. Um, around Europe, you're getting these um, um, nationalist stroke, right-wing stroke, anti-immigrant um, um, parties. And one of the things that certainly happened, we repeated just uh, in the last couple of weeks, a question we asked 18 months ago, where we asked people what's the most important problem facing their country. And 18 months ago, immigration was nowhere near the top in any of the countries. It is now top in Britain, top in Germany, top in Scandinavia. And in France, the only reason why it isn't top in France is because um, terrorism has risen in France, because you have the, 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 that, that episode on, on that train um, two or three weeks ago, plus the Charlie Hebdo incident. So if you as were lump terrorism and immigration together as a sort of anti-foreigner, um, it, 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 uh, the sentiment has changed in France. So um, if the current refugee crisis, and I think we can now begin to call it a crisis without being over-emotional about it, isn't solved in a way which people broadly think makes sense, if it isn't solved in the next few days, weeks, um, I think it could have lasting consequences for the popular um, legitimacy and acceptability, not so much for the European Commission as an institution, but for the European projects, the willingness to accept the outcomes of meetings of heads of governments and so on. Um, so I think, I think the European Union, as well, even if you leave the British referendum out of the equation, just look at it intrinsically. I think the European Union has probably bigger political challenges now when you look at migration, when you look at the Eurozone, when you look at Greece. Um, bigger political challenges than, frankly, I can remember. Peter, thank you very much for your time.